I feel so bad for that teacher. It's like, yeah. It's See, like 18 boys and seven girls or something. Oh, That's my really gosh. Yeah. I was yeah. I was the boys' teacher when you walked into my classroom. The parents, if they didn't know me, they would walk in and they'd look around because I had a gigantic classroom. I was also a shop teacher. Okay, cool. And so I had like a, a klepper kayak uh, skeleton hanging from the ceiling. I had uh, some bicycles in there because I commuted by bicycle for 30 years to work. Cool. And uh, yeah, they they would the parents would walk in and go, "Whoa, you're a real yeah. boys teacher." Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> and I would apologize to the girls. <laughs> Some of them probably were into it though. Oh yeah, they were. And you know what? I live in a rural area, so uh, and I grew up on spent a lot of time on my uncle's farm. So I I uh, I have a fond heart for the the farm kids. Yeah. Yeah. So it was. Where uh, are you out of? I live an hour east of Toronto. Okay. Yeah. I'm trying to think. So, um, I used to, I went to school at Cornell okay. in New York yep. and I, I grew up in Detroit and I used to drive through Canada pre nine 11 to go to school. Yes. And I'd pick up a guy named Jim. He was in my grade. He was on the men's soccer team. He lived on a peach farm yes. about similars i can't remember somewhere in the middle of ontario yeah he'd be in st Catharines area niagara falls uh hamilton yeah yeah that's yeah probably he lived about an hour and a half from niagara falls yeah and um west yeah and uh, i'd pick him up on the way and he'd always get me in all sorts of trouble like he wouldn't have his visa or like he'd be (laughs) buying all the beer at the duty free store and we weren't 21 yet you know and the different alcohol ages (laughs) i'd be like oh god no yeah yeah that's so cool yeah you know what it's it's I I uh, know where you're from because I I when I listen or watch the movie and that sort of stuff. So my daughter lives in Windsor. Oh, nice, awesome. Or as I call it, South Detroit. <laughs> yeah, totally. That's the only. That's the Journey song, right? Yeah, exactly. That's right. <laughs> and then and then I do know where you grew up skiing. Yeah. Because my daughter's been there and she's like, Dad, this is like a garbage dump. I think like it's. Yeah, it's a landfill. I don't think it's garbage though. Oh, I think okay. It's just dirt. La- yeah. Okay. Yeah, we, we, I looked into it. I always assumed it was a garbage dump growing up, and yep. then they were like, "Oh, it's just like we had to put all this dirt somewhere and we put it here." Oh, that's so cool. So you're the yeah. first person that I've, I've done this with that I don't really know. And I was, um, there's a guy that I met through listening to another podcast, and he's a telemark skier, and he works in a shop in Ellicottville, New York, okay. and um, he was talking to um, I can't remember her name was. Korean, I think, and she's uh she's got a website, Ski Moms, I think it's called, or a Facebook oh, cool. group, and it's like, and she runs this business, and I, I think it's like consulting and that sort of stuff, and saying to, uh, she works with ski resorts, saying, you're missing the untapped dollars by not focusing on families. Yeah. Like, you know what, we get to the ski hill, and it's like, where are the goggles? We need goggles. We got to go to the store and buy another, yeah. the fifth pair of goggles, you know, like totally. that Gloves, sort of thing. And everything. I was like, and, and in my class, even though I was a, um, a boys teacher, I always, cause I only have daughters. I'm always a, a huge advocate for women in anything. Yeah. And, uh, I was like, you know what? I should see if Megan would want to do this and, you know, get a different perspective. Cause you know what? Like you're super mom, man. 
<laughs> I see you out there with your boys, and I'm like, holy cow, it's it's got to be nuts. Yeah, yeah. And it's a lot of, like, stay calm. Just stay calm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, so yeah, this this is so cool. So uh I you probably I know more about you than you know about me, but you know, I started telling like out, you know, people in Detroit to get tired of skiing the the little hills and you want to do yeah. something a little more difficult and and that sort of stuff. So uh, that's how I got into it. Yeah. Yeah, so and No, it's great for the Midwest. I wish I did it back when I lived there. I just didn't no, I mean, I had the first time I saw it. I don't know if we're starting this interview, but well, I've I've just been fiddling around with the recording levels and that sort yeah. of stuff. So I've 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 kind of started it, but uh, yeah. I I haven't. Like I can, I can delete and actually have a formal start, but I can. Uh, uh, why don't I just do that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I'll I'll just take a little bit of a break. I don't know what's been up with. I don't know. The last time I did, or a couple of times, it was updating, but it's still uh, still recorded. It just paused there for me. Yeah, I just got a brand new computer. I was like, is this going to work? No, this thing is amazing. It'll All right. probably only work for two years. <laughs> <laughs> I know mine's a little anyway. s- slowing a little down. So yeah. anyways, I'll get started here. Okay. Hey, crew, welcome back to the Skippy Report. So on today's episode, we have super mom, Megan Kelly. She's a mother of triplet boys, if you can believe that. She works full-time. She's a telemark skier, and I only really got to know her through a movie called Our Family, which was a telemark movie, which uh, us telemark skiers have been missing for a while. So welcome to the show, Megan. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Who are you? Yeah. Okay, well, um, yeah, my name is Megan Kelly. I am a telemark skier. I live in Lake Tahoe, the South Shore of Lake Tahoe. Um, I have, like Keith said, triplet boys. They just turned six, so I feel like I'm in the golden years for them. That's what I've heard from other parents. Um, and But I'm originally from the Midwest and as close to Canada as you can get, I guess, outside of Detroit. Um without living in the real mountains, you know, everyone who lives in the U S we kind of envy Canadians a lot. I don't, I know we don't say that enough, but we really do envy you guys. You seem to have a little bit more stability than us, but, um, especially snow wise, get a little bit more snow now. Um, and yeah, I grew up in the Midwest. I went to school out East, um, in, at Cornell in upstate New York. And that's, I was telling Keith a little bit before this. So that's when I first saw telemark skiing, um, thought it was the coolest thing, you know, it was old equipment, smaller mountains. It's just something to make the smaller mountains more entertaining, but I didn't really get into telemark skiing until we had a drought year out here in Lake Tahoe. And, um, people kind of gave up skiing. And I, I was like, well, I still want to ski every day. I'm going to get into telemark skiing. And I bought a a used set of telemark skis, Rosignol Rip Chicks, and um, got really into it. Couldn't do anything else after that and just practiced um, a lot until I am where I am today, where I feel pretty confident on most uh, most types of terrain. Um, yeah, and like he said, I work full-time. I'm a civil engineer, and I work on environmental projects, so stream restoration, stormwater treatment, everything for keeping Lake Tahoe clear and blue. So, yeah. That's that's insane. You, uh, 
being a civil engineer, I think my cousin's husband went to Cornell. That's a, an Ivy League school, right? It is Ivy League. Yeah, school, he yeah. played basketball for for Cornell. I don't know what. Oh, the, awesome. Yeah, yeah, and then they they he graduated. She was at SMU. Uh, they're from Quebec. That's how they met, and uh, then they went over to Europe and played professional basketball in Europe. Wow. Yeah. I knew I I was friends with a lot of Canadians at Cornell because um I was I played soccer and uh one of my teammates was a soccer slash hockey player so we all kind of hung out with the women's hockey team and there was a lot of a lot of girls from Canada it was quite a good time they did they introduced me to all like. The Labat, the differences between the <laughs> Bat Blue and Molson. Uh, <laughs> <so> <laughs> learned all about that. Yeah, you, you know, I have this great story because you know we always chide Americans on uh, the uh, lack of strength of their beer, and <laughs> yeah. and uh, some friends were out playing hockey and they would go to a craft brewery afterwards. And there's this new guy who had never been to this two A craft brewery, so the uh, um. Uh, waiter was taking uh, their order, and he says, "Well, I'll have a Coors Light." And they said, "Well, we we don't sell Coors Light here." He goes, "Well, bring me whatever you is close enough." So when the server came back, he uh, gave the, everybody their beer, and then he handed the guy who was looking for Coors Light a glass of water. Yeah, nice, <laughs> perfect. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you grew up in Detroit. Yeah. Can I? Which part of Detroit? Because there's a. Well, I mean, I grew like up in the in outskirts. Suburb of Detroit, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's crazy. You know what? I've uh, ridden my bicycle around Lake Ontario a few times, and cool. I, I find that the the way the suburbs of large cities in the U.S. work, they kind of dismantle the centers of the cities. True. Yeah. Because after riding a hundred miles touring, I'd have to ride an extra twenty five miles out to where there was a big box store or something like that. Yeah. So I could get my groceries for the night and the next day because there was nothing left in this little town. Yeah. Because where I, I hear... live, where I live, I live on a byway um, on the North shore of Lake Ontario and every, well, I'm eight kilometers. So five miles from the next town East and each town is uh, one of maybe 18,000 people. The, and my town is now 14 or 15,000 people. We all have big grocery stores and, and that sort of stuff in each town or small shops. But we found a hard time when we were touring, because uh, I've toured around Lake Ontario four times. I found it hard if you wanted to stay close to the shore where it's nice and scenic, that it was tough to get groceries in that lot of times. Yeah, that's wild, eh? That is wild. Yeah, I think I agree. I feel, um, you know, there's a long history there that I could get into that I probably botched too, but I used to read a lot about it. It's like my mom was actually uh, worked for General Motors. You know, everybody in Detroit like has a, right. you know, a connection to the big three automakers. And um, she worked there for like 40 years before retiring. And uh, her first day of work was the day the um, Detroit race riots started in the late 60s, and she wasn't able to go to work. And, and she said that's when everybody started moving out of right. out of Detroit. And, and now, you know, you hear about all the time, but, like, those inner cities are, like, food deserts. Like, there's not even, yeah you know, fresh produce available or grocery stores. or There's only convenience stores. And um, But I think, I think people are finally on to that, despite, like, you know, our kind of history of, um, 
you know, not addressing things quickly in America. I think the cities are making a comeback a little bit, you know, but it's just taking time. So it it was interesting. Yeah. I I try to watch. I watch uh, half an hour at 5.30 of Canadian national news and then about a half an hour local news and then I'll watch American news, try to be okay, a little yeah. well-informed. And last night, I think it was last night on the CBS Evening News, they were talking about uh, a part of Atlanta that was a food desert. And yeah. this woman was trying to advocate to get a grocery store and I guess she went to all the large chains in and around Atlanta and they said there's not enough income in that neighborhood to support this. So they said, wow. well, screw you. And they started their own local grocery store. Cool. Yeah. And, and one of the women, the main woman that was being interviewed, she loved it. She walked into it. She goes, there's even a cafe here, a coffee shop. <laughs> like, yeah. So awesome. she, she wanted to be part of it. She started off. She was, I think, a cashier. And now she's like the assistant manager of the store, you know, and, uh, that's a great story. Yeah. yeah it was, it was so cool. And there was, um, uh, I can't remember what the, the event was. I don't know if it was like a black lives matter thing or, or something. There was some disturbance and the, um, the market got damaged and all that stuff. And then all these people came together and put the place back together. And, you know, there's a real sense of community. Yeah. She's, uh, yeah. She's really excited about that. Yeah. So, and, yeah. and it's very interesting how, you know, I have lots of American friends and we talk about the differences between our, our two countries. And, uh, I tell you, oh, man, it's, uh, up here, we don't hear about things about food deserts. Yeah. In cities. Yeah. yeah. And in California, where I, like, I live on the border of California and Nevada. Um, but in California now, it's like, they're addressing it head on. Like if you, you know, I work for a conservation district, so we get in all sorts of things, um, restoration of streams. We even get into like urban agriculture right. and like um, building like greenhouses, public greenhouses, community gardens, things like that. So like one of the grants that we go for sometimes is a California grant to address the existence of food deserts. So like there's people, they're onto it, but it's like, um, you know, I, I never even think about, uh, yeah, like Detroit's having this whole agriculture rebirth. Yeah. Because there's like, yeah, empty mansions that are dilapidated that they're like bulldozing and making farmland in the city because it's actually like quite fertile soil. So like, I don't know, there's hopefully, I like to be optimistic. I think that's what you have to be having triplets, right? So Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I know it's, it's interesting. I, I, I live, you know, four and a half hours east of Detroit. Yeah. But our American feed on our television comes from Detroit because Buffalo has too many infomercials. Oh, wow. So, yeah, like, nice. I'm right up on all the Detroit stuff. Yeah, so it's it's pretty interesting. And, like, even during this strange time that we're in, you know, I have a daughter who lives 45 minutes northeast of me out in the country, and she has 541 acres. And I say that because wow. she only has an acre, and there's a farmer that has 500 acres around her. Uh, he farms like 3,000, 4,000 acres. And she takes care of his buildings and that sort of stuff. So he allows us to snowshoe, cross-country ski. Wow. And there's woods in the back of the uh, fields and that sort of stuff. So, you know, she always wanted chicken. So I built her this primo chicken coop. And uh, she's got meat birds. And then she wanted a garden. So me growing up on my uncle's farm, it's like, okay. This is how we have to do the garden. 
And, awesome. And uh, yeah, she she was she was impressed with you know potatoes and tomatoes out of our wazoo, and yeah, she's really gotten into it now. She's hatching chicks for other people and selling them. Wow. Yeah, it's uh, she's she's gotten into a real enterprise there. But uh, it'd be kind of cool, you know. Lots of people could you have a little bit of land and um, you know grow fresh vegetables. We have a small kitchen garden because we we pretty much are the caretakers of her garden. She's got the land yeah. and we do the rest of the work and she benefits That's from that. That's super cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you were talking about you had a drought in and around Lake Tahoe or yeah, a I snow mean, drought. Typically, yeah. Typically now, I mean, the way Lake Tahoe seasons have gone at least in the last 30, 40 years is you'll have these boomer busts. So we have this average snowfall of like 450 inches. That's our average snowfall. It's great. Oh, that'd be great. If we got 450 inches every season, we would be in heaven, you know? But what happens is we get 800 inches, and then we only get, like, 200. Right. And then we get 800, then we get 200. Sometimes we get, we had in the, I think, four of five years before 2017. So it was, like, 2012 through 2017 we just had four of those years were drought years um and then we had one big year in there um but i think when i first moved here it was like 06 05 06 was one of their biggest years ever they had maybe 700 800 inches of snow the next year was more like a, a 250 inches of snow and so people just weren't going skiing you know everybody likes to ski powder it's like um, or at least when the snow is soft and not icy, right? Uh, believe right. it or not, I mean, we get, I, I mean, I don't know what Canadians think about, I don't know who your audience is, but, um, when I thought about skiing in California, when I first learned about it, I just figured it snowed in the morning and all melted by the end of the day right. or something. I didn't really understand it. Um, but yeah, I mean, we get kind of a lot of snow at once. We get like a four day long storm and then we have like a week of sunny skies. So the snow on it stays good for a couple of days and then it gets kind of that melt free cycle. You get some corn skin, maybe even in the middle of January. Um, but yeah, I think we had like maybe five, six weeks where we weren't just getting any snow. And, and now that I've lived here longer, I realize that's kind of the norm. Um, but that year we were just not getting snow and people kind of, I, I couldn't find people to ski with. So I just was like, I'll start telemark skiing. And then it's funny with telemark skiing, you know, like you see another telemark skier, you're like, Oh, can I ski with you for a little <laughs> bit? <laughs> and then, uh, you know, so then you make all these other friends. And, and uh, I remember putting like my Alpine skis back on and I had made these telemark friends and they were like, Oh, you're Alpine skiing today. And I was like, Oh yeah. And I think that was like the last time I Alpine ski, I was feeling like kind of shame, you know, right. like I, I just, it was a powder day. I was trying to keep up and then, but then I just got, you know, I practice a lot. I'm, I, I've kind of like, I always listen to these podcasts with, you know, a big fan of Michaela Schifrin yep. and she's a lot younger than me, but, um, she says the thing that makes her a good ski racer is that she loves practicing more than she actually loves racing. Yeah. She loves yeah. training more than she loves. And that's what I feel about like anything hard or difficult, like telemark skiing. It's like, the more you like practicing and like kind of messing up and not being that good at something, the better you're going to be at it. Cause you just keep chipping away, you know? Yeah. Well, you know what? I, I always equate telemark skiing to fly fishing. Okay, not, yeah. there, there aren't many fly fishers and you, you really have to work at your fly fishing skills. Like th they say, if you're a telemark skier, you're either a gearhead 
a pothead or a geek, you know, yeah. <laughs> and, and a lot of my friends are engineers, physics teachers, chemistry yeah. teachers, you know, they're very analytical, even myself. Sure. I can't ski without looking at my shadow work. You know, I, I might in an entire day have one or two runs where I just go and ski, but most of the time, as I'm going down the hill, it's like, oh yeah, do this a little more, do that a little more, yeah. you know? So I, I, I used to be a, a Telmark instructor and I used to race also. The racing is what made me uh, become a better skier because that gate is there and you better turn. Yeah. It's, it's a little safer sure. than running into a tree. True. Because I, I was just listening to Josh uh, Madsen's podcast this morning and he's been talking about Midwest skiers and how, I, I think he has a um, an admiration for Midwest skiers because we ski the woods, right? Yeah. We're bashing branches and brush. And I don't know, I've never really skied out in California, Oregon, or Washington. So I'm when I see the pictures of skiers going through the trees, I was like, dude, there's like lots of room between the trees. Here, yeah, there's, there's not. so much room. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's the it's totally different tree skiing in, in Lake Tahoe. They're, what do they say about Lake Tahoe? They got there, the, the, the white settlers. And they're like, the Sierra has trees so far apart. You can just drive a wagon through them. Oh, know? geez. So, yeah. yeah. And, 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 and when you were talking about skiing, like a lot of people, I think uh, here in the East look at Western skiers and I'm, I'm used to getting in trouble. Cause that's what I did my whole career. I would open my <laughs> mouth and it's like, Oh, you shouldn't say that. It's like, yeah. But, you know, we ski on ice out here. Yeah. And and the the woman who was on the podcast, she was the the woman who, um, her name is Susie. I can't remember her last name. But she was the one who told Craig Dosty that there should be a Telemark, a Telemark magazine. And so oh, she, Susie Sutton. Yeah. Yeah, that's you it. You had Susie Sutton? You talked to her? That's well, I, I did. I didn't. But Josh did. I, Josh okay, did. Yeah. yeah he was on the, yesterday. Yeah. And she's from Ohio, and she was yeah. talking about, you know, how uh, the skiing, she's in her youth spent more time skiing at night than during the day. Yeah. You know, because totally. that, that's what we do out here. It's like, you know, you work all day, you go and uh, put a few runs in at night under the lights and, and that sort of stuff, you know. So I, I yeah. always think that East Coast skiers are marginally better than West Coast skiers. However... I have seen where you ski, and I was like, if I was skiing with you, and what you do sometimes, it'd be like, yeah, homie, don't play that. Uh, I'm not doing <laughs> that. <laughs> I've bashed my body up so many times. It's like, yeah, I'm not going off that. <laughs> I'm starting to slow down a little myself. I hear you. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> if if you guys uh, out there want to see what uh, Megan does, uh, you should uh, look her up on Instagram. What's your handle on Instagram? It's uh, Megan Kelly Tellies. And you need to check out the movie Our Family. Yeah, it's 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 a really good mo uh, movie. That's uh yeah, I was uh, amazed like even uh, Taylor Johnson was in there. Yeah. And I I've, I've got to ski with him. And I, I remember I had never really skied out west and one year my wife I I suggested to her that we go to their end of year barbecue and she's like you don't like flying. You're going to fly to Utah for a weekend for a barbecue? And I said, I think it's only three hours to fly. It takes me six hours to get to my cottage on the Quebec-Vermont border. What's the difference? 
So then she says to me, yeah, yeah. she does a little bit of research, and she says, do you know that the off-season to fly from Toronto to Salt Lake City is like December, January? I was like, no, I didn't know that. She, and then she says the magical words, I can send you. And I was like, hell yeah, you're going to send me just for saying that. So we planned it the next year. I w- went and visited Josh for a, a week, and uh, the first day there was an East Coast day. And yep. then afterwards, I they said I hit it just right because every day there was a minimum of of 12 inches of fresh powder. Wow. Lots of times it was like above the knees and that sort of stuff. And I remember him dragging me into some trees at Alta and um, I was like, dude, I can't keep this up. And he's like, oh, right, you're on those skis, like East Coast skis, right? Yeah, yeah. And and I remember wiping out and I also kayak and I almost drowned kayaking and I was like, I choked on powder. I was like, <laughs> This is just like water, man. <laughs> yeah. Liquid sure. water, liquid water. Yeah. Isn't yeah. it funny how those sports all correlate? Like the best part of all those sports is when the water, the snow hits you in the face. Oh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know what? I, I'm a sailor. Uh, I love yeah. being a, and a water skier, too, because uh, Megan's also a water skier. Yeah. You yeah. should check out. Uh, we, I'm in another short film uh, where we a team of five other women and I, we sailed from Iceland to Greenland and skied a bunch of first descents. I was so going to ask you about that because while I was yeah, doing yeah. that little bit of research, I was like, that's like the dream ski trip. Do it, it by was amazing, sailboat. Yeah. It was called shift. It's called shifting ice and changing tides. Really? So, yeah. And, and, and what's it like skiing? Like it, you really do ski almost right down to the water? Oh, yeah, it's wild. I mean, I would recommend for anyone who likes skiing and water um, to go to Iceland once, you know, COVID allows travel again and and go up to the West Fjords or even just like Arukeri. I think I probably botched that name. Um, you know, one of, the, one of the funniest things is one of my six-year-olds can pronounce everything. I'm always <laughs> like, can you pronounce this for me? He's got like no pre- previous American accent, but um, yeah, the Troll Peninsula, but like the West Fjords, there's special people. They're so friendly, um, and you can you can uh, like charter a sailboat and go sail into different fjords. You can even get dropped off and then ski over a mountain range and drop back down to another fjord, and they'll pick you up over there. Um, but yeah, like it the, when we went in 2014, it was um, they had a big year and. Um, there was a lot of coolars that hadn't been skied before in Iceland. We got to ski some of those, and that was more like corn skiing. And then we we sailed four and a half, five days across the Denmark Strait that separates Iceland and Greenland. And um, we we originally thought we were going to have to sail 200 miles south of the southern tip of Greenland because of sea ice, but the sea ice conditions allowed us to sail right into the southern point, and there's all of these amazing fjords that you can motor up there at that point you have no wind because they're like yes deep crevices and um and there's like six thousand foot peaks jutting right out of the ocean really and you can climb those and ski like coolars right down to to the fjord and um yeah we got about five or six days in almost like california style weather skiing in greenland people were like this is unheard of we never get a five-day high pressure window um just skiing all around southern Greenland, all first descents because previously people had only gotten in there um, for climbing trips and stuff because of the sea ice. Right. And then 
we kind of had a, we were getting chased out of Southern Greenland by the sea ice was about to kind of migrate down from the East shore. And we had a sail and we tried to beat the storm, but we got caught in this storm for about 16 hours and wow. it was terrifying, you know, but we, we made it. We're here today to tell yeah. them live and tell about it. We didn't get much footage of that for the movie because I think that would have just made people see. <laughs> <laughs> I know you, we have wicked storms here. I can't remember who I was talking to. And they were like from Europe and, and they're like Lake Ontario. They're like, this is a lake. And they were, they were taking the yeah. train from Toronto to Montreal. And that, that's what it was. And, and, um, they said to my friend who was on the train, it's like, what body of water is that? Oh, that's Lake Ontario. And then two hours later, it's like, well, what body of water is that? Well, that's Lake Ontario. And they're like, yeah, what? Totally. Yeah. <laughs> so I used yeah. to, I used to sail out here and you know, Lake Ontario is the second smallest lake. And we still get like 12 foot seas out there in bad storms. It's you pop up at the top of a wave and you, oh, there's the land and down in a trough and it's just all green around you. Right. Yeah. So I have to ask you, how does a woman, a young woman from the Midwest get into these sorts of opportunities? I mean, for me, it's always just been perseverance, I guess, or trying new things. I don't know. Um, with, uh, you know, I grew up really, I mean, I skied a little bit. We, I had ski club, just like you said, night yep. skiing. We just went out on the buses at night and we just went to ski club at Mount Brighton and, and skied Friday and Saturday nights. That's, and, and I mean, every once in a while I had a friend who was going to Northern Michigan. We got to go to the big mountains up there, like Boyne mountain. Yeah. I've been there much. Yeah, exactly. And, yep. um, and then, uh, I, but I was a soccer player. I just was uh, playing soccer, really into it. Um, always pretty good at all sorts of sports. Like I played basketball. I played soccer. I played – I could pretty much pick up all, any of those kind of ball sports and do pretty well at them. Um, and I went to Cornell, the Ivy League school, because I got recruited for soccer. Right. Um, so I played soccer there. And um, – you know, I wanted to get into outdoor sports, but I never had any time. I was so into, into soccer and, um, Oh yeah. Well, like, like my, when my cousin told me what being a basketball player at SMU was like, uh, it's like, you're a piece of meat. They own you. Yeah. Yeah. You just practice five hours a day or what have you. And then you've got your school on top of that. Um, and, yeah, and started, are you allowed yeah. to, are you allowed to play other sports? Cause I played university basketball up here and they discouraged us from doing things like yeah. skiing. You were discouraged, but you know, we just don't ask, don't tell kind of right. <laughs> policy. And I, I found out that you could get a $99 season pass to the local hill. There's Greek peak. And oh yes. yeah. so, yeah, we started just going skiing there. And then, um, you know, after school, I moved out West to just try it out. Um, I moved to Colorado first and, and that's when I, I saw some kayakers kayaking. I'm like, well, I'll figure out how to do that. You right. know? And it's just the same thing. Go talk to people say, how did you get into this? What did you do? Oh, you just bought a kayak and you started doing it or you took one class. And so, yeah, you know, I just kind of would save up and try to chip away at these different sports. Um, and I was kind of burned out of soccer at the time, but I needed another avenue right. of something to kind of, uh, you know, have a new identity, I guess, again, because I had always identified as a soccer player. Um, and it's, yeah, it's like, what else can I get into now? So I was trying to chip away. I had always mountain bike growing up. We, we had some good mountain bike trails in Southeast Michigan. 
had always kind of dabbled in climbing, but more like climbing gyms. Right. Um, but yeah, living out West, it was like, oh, I saw somebody doing something. I went and talked to them, you know, and that's the Midwest friendliness. You can right. just go up and, and talk to people and see what's going on. And uh, I always envy people like you were mentioning Susie Sutfin, who I ski with still. Um, she's a great telemark skier and she was one of the original kind of big mountain telemark skiers. Um, and uh I always thought, oh, could I ever be like her? Could I do every single sport that's outdoor sport? Like, how do you learn how to kayak? How do you learn how to uh, water ski, sail, you know, mountain bike, ski? And and then sometimes I look back now and I'm like, oh, I can do most of this. Yeah. Stuff. You know, there's still stuff I feel like I, I'm a newbie at. Even now people are getting into all this other stuff like kite surfing, hydrofoiling. Right. You know, I'm like, okay, I don't know. Yeah. When does it end? But I think that's cool. Like all those sports are lifelong sports that you can, you can keep doing and then uh, keep it interesting, you know? Well, I always think it's good that people think that they're still kind of newbies or whatever. Cause my wife keeps telling me, she goes, you're not an intermediate skier. I said, yeah, I'm an intermediate skier. Cause there's some stuff that I'm not good at. I just, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm six foot six, 275 pounds and me and moguls now, <laughs> not even those ultra moguls <laughs> i always felt like those ultra moguls are like oh those are the moguls well you those know what skiers. I, I, I consider my home mountain jay peak in vermont because it's less than That's an hour cool from mountain. the cottage and you know what they're moguls i can handle because they're the size of volkswagen beetles <laughs> like we, we were there one easter and we got a foot of fresh snow every day and every day these gigantic moguls built up and I was able to ski those, but anything else? Yeah. No. And I have a friend who's uh he's a moguls coach and you know, I, and he coaches Alpine skiers, but he's a telemark skier and he does everything on his telly gear. And I, I watch him just kind of dance and I'm like, yeah, I, yeah, I'm not going to do that. I'll go in, <laughs> survive, you know, do that sort of stuff. But uh, yeah, but I think the humility thing is uh, like you said, Midwest, which is like Canadian too, I think. Yeah. Because a lot of Midwesterners. Now, how far do they consider the Midwest? Is Minnesota Midwest? Yeah, I think they consider that the Midwest too. Yeah. Okay, because we you see we don't have all those different regions like we have uh, up here in Canada, like you guys have. Because like our West yeah. is Calgary, you know, and yeah. then, and then we have the prairies. I guess that would be like your West. We call them the yeah. prairies. We don't have yeah. a we don't have a Midwest. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was going to ask you about being a mom of triplet boys who are highly active with your active life also. Like, it's got to be a zoo. Yeah, it can be. You know, I was just kind of griping a little bit. Like, oh, I we, don't, we just got back from a week-long trip. We went to the California coast, and um, it was great. We're tired, you know, but uh, I don't I, I don't know what's been going on on with the snow i mean we're still skiing here it's spring skiing tahoe um and uh i was like i don't know if i'm even a skier anymore i'm a, i'm gonna go do this podcast about skiing but i don't even know you know and i mean <laughs> i've missed like what one week and right <laughs> it's more of like yeah i definitely had a cut back on my personal um especially when they were really young when they were three and under, they didn't really notice if I was gone. If I went and I said, you know, I had this kind of personal goal when they were two, I, I had set this goal to ski four new California, 14,000 foot 
peaks. Um, and I had set this goal and I was like telling people I'm going to do this. And I got through the first one and I, I mean, I was worked. I was probably sleep deprived from two years of sleep deprivation. And it was a hard one. It was, it was way back, you know, probably a 14 mile approach or something. Oh, we did geez. it in the day and um, it was split mountain and, and I was so tired and I'm walking out of split mountain. I think we had left at four in the morning and we were walking out to the car at four PM or 5 PM. So it was 13 hours straight of moving. And, um, and I was like, I don't know if I, if I got this in me anymore. <laughs> and, uh, but sure enough, I like rallied. I did two more that season. I didn't make it to my four right. goal, but I did, I figured I did one for each triplet. So I kind of re reassess. So but that was a kind of a wake up call for me, but every year is different. Like I thought, Oh, as they get older, I'll have more time for kind of these personal pursuits. I could get back into kind of ski mountaineering or, or what have you. And I've found so far as they get older, I kind of want to spend more time with them. And they also recognize when I'm not there. So um, like this year, I feel like I spent a lot of time skiing with them, but I had a blast doing it. So I didn't get to ski as much rowdy terrain or, gets any new backcountry pursuits, but I still had a lot of great days out there. And I also um, felt like this was kind of a weird, ominous season in the Western U.S. Like there was a lot of avalanches and kind of spooky snowpacks. So just dialing it back, realizing like I'm a mom, I have a lot of life to live and I have a lot of people I want to be around. So right. no need to push it. Just, you can still have fun, especially telemark skiing. Like, yeah. You can have fun meadow skipping. You don't need to push it and be skiing couloirs that could slide, you know, or you can just have fun out there skiing trees and 30 degree powder. Um, so I did a lot of that this year, just like that quick. And it, it's all about where you live. You know, that's the one good thing about Lake Tahoe. I can drive five minutes and go do a two hour backcountry loop where I get some good skiing in. Um, and I can still then ski four hours with the kids, right. you know? And so we do a lot of like early morning, I'll go out early and I'll still be back by nine. And then we'll go to the ski resort with the family or right. something like that. So it's been, yeah, it's good. Uh, it's, it's a nice place to raise kids and be a mom, but like your focus, I find shifts and it wasn't like I thought it would be. I thought, oh, I'll just want to be around them when they're babies and, and then I'll have more time. But like now it's like, there's all this other stuff that comes up with having a kid. Like they, one of them broke their leg this year. That was, um, you know, or like they're into hockey now. They play hockey. Yeah. Can I get any more? Like I'm a wannabe Canadian. I get my kids playing hockey. <laughs> I, I remember um, seeing the one picture. I think it was, they were old men at school or something like that. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I made the comment about the Hanson brothers. They just need the yeah, tape. Totally. On the- <laughs> they, that's a good one. They got to be the Hanson brothers one year following. Oh yeah. That would be so rad. Yeah. <laughs> And so, yeah, like, you know, there's things come up and you just, uh, you just got to do them. And I, I don't, it's just interesting. Like, I think that's cool though. If you were just a ski bum and you got to be a ski bum for your whole life and maybe you didn't have to like dial back your skiing, I think you would just start taking it for granted. Now, every day I'm out there, it doesn't matter how the snow is. I'm just like happy to be out there skiing. You that's know? right. And, so I just find it like gives you this sense of appreciation when your time is limited, no matter what the conditions are. I'm out here. This is so fun. Look how beautiful, what a beautiful day. And it could be like sideways snowing, hitting you in the face. And you're just like, Oh, this is so great. I can't yeah. I'm out here. Yeah. Well, you know what, when you're yeah. talking about just being thankful for being outside, when I was talking 
to my friend Adam, who's got the podcast, and and he was on the podcast here. He's just a big outdoor enthusiast, and it doesn't matter. Skiing is skiing, and we were talking. He's a basketball player also. He grew up in yeah. uh, Buffalo, and we were talking about, you know, you can talk to somebody who skis twice a year, and you ask them, are you a skier? And they're like, yeah, I'm a skier. But yeah. are we still basketball players? Like, I played ball for 50 years. I'm, I'm really beat up. I don't play basketball anymore. But, yeah. you know, am I still a basketball player? Well, to me, I am. But, yeah. you know, he said he's he doesn't really identify as a basketball player. He's a skier, you know. Yeah, everybody, cool. yeah, everybody, you get out there, it doesn't matter who you are, your first day doing pizza and french fry yeah you're a skier you know and yeah. uh, to, uh, to me also you know I, I i really enjoyed raising my children at our local ski hill which is like mount brighton it's called mount kirby it's 20 minutes away it's cool. th- 300 feet vertical you know people poo poo it but we've had three boys uh, racing the snowboard world cup and alpine wow. snowboarding start at that hill yeah. And, uh, you know, for me, it doesn't matter where you get your turn, you get a turn. And I don't think they would have as much snow in Detroit as we would have sometimes. But my school's rural and we would have snow days and we're almost 100% bust. Some kids would show up on a snow day, but, you know, 80% of the school lived out in the country. They didn't get to school. And uh, so I would go home at lunchtime, grab my gear. There's this nice boulevard on this one road where the trees are spaced as if they're out west. <laughs> you could put <laughs> a, a wagon through it, and I would figure eight the trees. And I, I remember one night, this dad or one day, this dad goes, "Hey, are you Mr. Woods?" And I was like, "Yeah, yeah." Sierra said you'd probably be out skiing there, <laughs> and the kids That's always awesome. they'd come back to school the next day and they're like, "You skied yesterday at lunch, right?" And I was like, "Yeah," you know, for I'm I don't care. Our ski hills were pretty much shut down. I guess our conservative government, which is like Republicans, they don't like skiing. And our our ski hills were shut down from December 26th. After all the hills had got all their COVID protocol, you had to call, book a time. And, you, you know, our local hill, it wasn't as fun for me. I went out for a half a day and I was like, yeah, I don't want to do this. But I found another hill that was a couple hours away. I didn't have to wear a mask the whole time. Yeah. Oh, and so you had to wear it the whole time. Yeah. Well, it depended. It depended on, I guess, the the ski resort, right? Yeah. So this one place in a line, you had to wear a mask. Um, this was the second place I skied. Uh, you had to wear a mask as you were approaching the chalet and that sort of stuff where there were people around. But while you're out skiing or riding the chair, and they said ride the chair as a single or with your household. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's, that's that's how it was here in America. Yeah. 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 But the place where I normally go, yeah, if you were on the property, you had to wear a mask the whole time, which was okay. Wow. But yeah. me being my size, I'm a furnace. I wear shorts all the time. <laughs> it's it's minus 40 out unless I'm skiing or working outdoors. I've got shorts on, like even outside. Yeah. You know, so I don't know. I need those little breaks, especially while skiing from wearing a mask to fog up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. When you're skiing hard or something, you know, it's nice to be able to take it down. It could be minus 30 and I'm like just so hot. I take off my helmet and you could just see the steam coming off my head. Like, wow, that's how I'm a furnace. Yeah, for sure. 
anyways. I think that's the coldest it's ever been in Lake Tahoe since I've lived here 15 years. I think it's only once ever been minus 30. Oh, really? Oh, no. One time. One time. I went to university in Sudbury, so which is three hours directly east of the Sioux, like your Sioux. And um, there were two days. I think it was third year university. It got to minus 70 with the wind chill. What? Wow. Yeah, that's, that's that is cold. That's Celsius, though. <laughs> and Fahrenheit. Uh, they're the same. They're after the same after, like, negative 38 or something? Or 38. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that's what I was wondering. Okay. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, now, have you skied out in the Canadian West? You said you skied in the American West. Uh, No. The furthest west I've skied was Mount Baker on the 1st of August. Okay. And I had tried surfing the day before in Tofino. Oh, nice. You're doing the dream, living the dream there. Yeah, yeah. You know what? I'm lucky. I lived the dream most of my life. <laughs> I have a very supportive wife. <laughs> but we, we went I out to Vancouver feeling. Island uh, for a family wedding and reunion on her side of the family. And I said, well, if we're going out there, I want to ski Mount Baker. Yeah. So I got to ski Mount Baker. Baker and we took the kid the girls uh surfing in Tofino so th- that was a um cool. a fun time but we're supposed my wife and I are supposed to be finishing our gigantic trip we were supposed to take off uh mid-February go to Chicago take route 66 to New Mexico and Arizona and I have friends all the way to the Canadian border so we we're going to hit all of those states on the cool. American Rockies and then Maybe go out to the Cascades in Oregon. Yeah. Uh, I have a friend out there. Uh, and then we were going to uh, go up into uh, BC and Alberta and ski. But I have not skied the the West. I'm not a big yeah. fan of flying. I, I You know what? Yeah. I don't mind flying. I hate airport experiences. And I think maybe that was because of after 30 years of teaching. Yeah. Being around too many people. Yeah. <laughs> so totally. this this COVID isolation stuff, I don't mind. <laughs> I'm I'm one of those people. And you know what? When I take a look at a few of my friends, we're good with this. <laughs> you know? So anyways, yeah, because we, we have a, a, a 41-foot fifth wheel. That's a toy hauler. Okay, great. Yeah, yeah. so we have our garage. And it's all human-powered toys. We don't put motorcycles in there. So, you know, we've got paddle boards, bikes, skis. And I wanted, you know, my wife to experience earning your turns. And when you come in and you're soaking wet from sweating and this, having a garage in your trailer is a really nice place. You can get inside and change. Yeah, so that's what we were supposed to be doing and just just wrapping it up now and probably heading to Kentucky because there's a big uh, bicycle rally in Georgetown, Kentucky. But uh, I guess we'll have to put everything on hold for another year. Yeah. Hopefully still get to do it. Oh, oh yeah, we'll do it. We'll do it. So yeah. and I, and I have lots, you know, my wife, she has family in uh, Banff and Canmore. Oh, great. And uh an uncle who lives in uh Kamloops where I think it's Sunshine. Yeah. So and I and family in Whistler. Story kind of related to that when I was uh 2022 i rode my bike from yellowstone national park to alaska wow bicycle yeah and so i rode all through that canadian rockies um and i loved it you know i thought glacier national park across the border right the international peace park and then you know went all through kootenay bamp jasper 
Um, and then we went on the Yellowhead Highway. Right. And took a ferry for a little bit. And then we rode into Alaska from like Haynes and Haynes Junction and then around through, um, I guess it, it's the Yukon and then in, in back into Alaska. Yeah. Yeah. It was a great trip. 3000 miles wow. of cycling. Yeah. But I, I do really like that area and, and skiing there is unbelievable too. So yeah, for sure. Now, the other thing that I want to ask you questions about the movie, uh, our family. Yeah. What your experience was like doing that. Just filming for that. And yeah. Stuff. Was it mostly filmed around Lake Tahoe? Yeah, we mostly filmed it around Lake Tahoe. Um, you know, we did kind of a mixture of going out with each other, with Bevan and Ty, and sometimes we would just get some filming done together. Um, sometimes, like, I have this other filmer that I work with, Anthony, um, his his company's first tracks productions, and we kind of did a trade. Like, we, I would be a ski model for him or what have you. Um and he wouldn't have to pay me or anything. I, you know, ski models get paid. It's wild. Wow. Um, and, uh, and then he that's would even better than things. a hand model. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> he would film some segments for the movie for us. Um, and so, yeah, we filmed it. I think that year we only filmed in Lake Tahoe and that was kind of the year I realized like, Oh man, this is really a lot harder. I thought, um, being a parent of four year olds and three year olds even, you know? Um, and, uh, yeah, it was just hard to find the time, especially working full time and everything like that. You know, when you're filming, it's not like you're just going out in the backcountry and you do your quick run and you get out, you know, you're out there for a half a day because you got to set everything up. You got to be like, okay, now we're going to hike back up and get that shot again. Oh, the light's not good. We're going to wait. Um, but yeah, like the couple times I, I thought Ty and I were going to go out and nail some shots. One of the first shots we did, I watched him ski this line, and he's a great skier, and I think sometimes I forget how good he is, you know, <laughs> Ty Dayberry. And yes. He's yeah. you know? And he's, he were on the top of this peak, flagpole peak, and I, I had skied the peak before, but not this line. It was a very steep committing line. It's called the Hollywood line. And, um, and I was also just a little bit like, oh, it's steep, but it feels pretty good avalanche-wise. And he's like, okay, I'm going to ski this part, but you can ski whatever way down you want after. And we're up there together, and we had a filmer. And, and he skis down, and he airs off this, like, 15-foot cliff, lands, skis a couple turns, then skis through the chute, and he's down at the bottom. So they're like, oh, you're good to go, okay. And I'm like, well, that looked pretty fun. I think I'll just do that, you know? And I so I air off the same cliff, just, like, a little bit to the left of him, and just, like... I'm, I land it and then I'm like skiing out, but I, I hit some ice. I turned too hard and I hit some ice bulbs and then I just, uh. you know, took a tumble. And of course I'm like, Oh my God, I already blew this line. It was like, perfect. I lost my GoPro, you know, everything. And, uh, that's the thing about filming. Like sometimes you get too hyped up or right. you get too amped up and you really have to like control your emotions and, uh, just like, uh, anyway, we hiked back up, we did another line, and um, yeah, some of that footage is in there, and some of it isn't in there, you know, and you, some shots you get, and some shots you don't, like, I, I think I felt like, wow, I skied a lot better last year than even this movie shows, um, but of course, we couldn't get all that on film, or we couldn't get it in the right format, or, right. or what have you, so it's, it's definitely interesting filming for a movie, you think it's going to go one way. And uh, you just have to be happy with like the little 15 second segments you get because um, 
you can't get everything perfect, you know, on film and it doesn't look exactly perfect or your drone runs out of batteries. Right. You're in the Eastern Sierra trying to film some coolars and the drones weren't syncing with the iPhones or something, you know, so, right. and the, one of the camera lenses broke and it was <laughs> like, so yeah, it, it, it's difficult filming for a movie and I wish that um, we could do it again. We haven't been able to, I know Ty is working on a movie with just some people, but it takes a lot of effort and it takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of calling in favors to filmers. I, I can't imagine how much time it takes. Cause one year I w had the opportunity to take my home room to the Toronto film festival. Uh, they have an education center. So we went and we were able to film a 32nd little feature film, I guess. And we were there all day. Just yeah. for 30 seconds. I never realized yeah. how important editors were in yeah. putting together uh, video projects and that sort of stuff. And how how many times we had to repeat the scene. Because we had 28 kids. Everybody had a part. And there were so many camera angles. And then how we would uh, have a scene. And then we would have to redo the scene and make sure that this camera was on and just you know forever however many views there are and then when we watched the final product we're like we were there all day probably spent seven hours filming and we got 30 seconds yeah, worth totally. of yeah. footage yeah. yeah so i can't imagine you know our little town here gets used a lot for movies like uh stephen king's it oh cool was filmed a huge amount, more than 50%, I think, in our town. And then there's a bunch of other ones. I just noticed a friend of mine who has a, a bicycle company, one of their tandems is in a movie. And I looked at it, and I was like, that's Port Hope. Like, And it, there's a majority of the movie in it. And uh, I've had some friends who, are, who have been extras in these films and stuff, and they're, they don't appear in anything, you know? Like, it's, yeah. it's amazing how much gets shot and then doesn't get used. Yeah, totally. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah, I had an experience before this movie uh, filming for the all-women ski movie Pretty Faces that Lindsay Dyer made. Right. Um, and I think I had one shot in that movie, but I had spent with them maybe four weeks filming. Wow. <laughs> before I had kids. Yeah. Three weeks up in Alaska and, um, you know, one week in Lake Tahoe. But it's like, yeah, you just, they what they choose, they choose, you know, and... um yeah, it w but yeah, I had a great experience filming for our, our family. It's really nice working with those guys. And I think they were just like amazed. I, I know Ty, I've known Ty for a long time, like right. way before I had kids. But with Bevan, I think because he's a, a little bit younger than us, um, he's just like amazed that you could be 40 years old and still shredding you yeah. know, and have three kids. He was yeah. like, I, wait, what? Oh, you're going to do it. You're going to try to do a backflip. Wait, are you 40? You know, <laughs> <laughs> So there would be like, uh, yeah, just funny moments like that where he, you know, you're with a 25 year old and he's just like, he couldn't believe it, you know, or, yeah. or there's sometimes where they'd be like, Oh, do you want to ski that? And you'd be like, Nope. <laughs> Cause there's <laughs> times like, I, de I definitely think like in my, uh, years of skiing big mountains and, and competing and stuff like that, you can look at consequence and decide which consequence is worth it, you know? And, yeah. uh, and there's certain consequences that I don't have tolerance for anymore, you know. Uh, you know what? I, I I was one of those kids. My my children would ask my mom, 
you know, go Nana. And she knew what was coming. And there's like, yeah, no, your dad was not a normal child. He, <laughs> you know, I, I would always stand back. I was the quiet observer and go, yeah, I can see this happening. Yeah, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> yeah, I, I missed out on a lot, lot of opportunities yeah. because I knew I was going to get hurt. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah, it's interesting, like, translating that to parenting because as a parent, your first instinct is to just tell your kids to be careful, you know? Yep. Um, I think. Or, like, are they assessing the risk? But now, like, as a skier, I try to go into things, like, that they're doing, like, either climbing rocks or what have you to be, like, hey, just remember to look around and think about what could go wrong or right. uh, what are the dangers here and then make sure you're like doing everything you can to mitigate for that or deciding if there's a better way to go or what have you. Um, so yeah, I feel like I just went through that with them. Uh, we were scrambling around some rocks and I, I looked over one. It was a total, the kid would have fallen like 30 feet and I was like, <laughs> well, I guess he made it. So yeah, <laughs> you know. I remember yelling at my youngest daughter, who was more of the daredevil, and she's walking along our six and a half foot high fences. And I was like, I yelled at her, dude, we're going, we're supposed to be going to the cottage in like two hours. Get off the fence. Because I could just see, you know, her falling and have to go to the yeah. hospital, get a broken arm fixed or something like that, you know? So, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, it's inevitable, though. I feel like it's inevitable. Yeah. It's. Now, your husband, is he the anchor of the house? Because when you said about living the dream, I, I heard a little bit of a comment in there. I didn't know if he's the uh, the grounded one or is he? Yeah, he's definitely the grounded one, yes. <laughs> <laughs> he's actually a teacher too. Oh, yeah. Um, he's, a, he's a history teacher. And, yeah, he definitely is like, oh, gosh, what are you up to now? What are you scheming here? Right. Um, but yeah, he's definitely, it helps to have him. He knows how much I love skiing or being outside. So he's like, go get done what you need to get done. Or, oh, it's going to snow tomorrow. Do you want to get up early and go out so you can get, get your skiing in? And um, yeah, he was really supportive of all that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, he's he's great. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. And I don't imagine it's it's quite a team effort raising your boys. For sure. We're like, uh, it's an amazing how much our teamwork has improved in general, like especially getting them ready for skiing or getting them ready for hockey. It's like we have it down to a science. We're like a finely oiled machine. Nice. You know? And that all started. It was like, that's the crazy thing about having kids. It's like every stage prepares you for the next stage. Like, I think it would be hard to go into being like a parent of a 17 year old from like not right. having kids, but like the way that like, the the growing up is structured like you've got especially with triplets you know you're like first we're trying to just feed them all and change all their diapers so that's that's enabling us to like get used to this kind of like i call it um what's that uh what does the auto industry use mass production right it's yep. like mass production so you know you're just uh, well there's assembly line. There's a great yeah. photo of the of the boys sitting in their kind of table high chair when they're toddlers, yeah. and it's, I can imagine. Yeah, you sit here at the, yeah. the, the and you just put their food out and at one big yeah. structure that they're sitting in. Yeah, so you're just going through. You just <clears throat> check, check, check. Always counting to three, and uh, yeah, so it's just always prepared us. And I think our team work skills have really improved. We know each other's strengths and weaknesses now to a T. You know, so it's like. 
oh, okay, yeah. And it's always been that way. Even when we found out we were having triplets um, in the ultrasound, he was having, he was almost like having a meltdown. And right. I was like, well, he's having a meltdown, so I got to stay calm. And so it's like, we do that. I mean, sometimes it's I'm the one who's having the, what are we going to do? Oh my gosh, this happened. And he's like, oh, we'll just do that. It's fine. You know, you know, we'll just do this. So there's, yeah, it's good. It's a good partnership. Yeah. I was always the more volatile person in our, <laughs> and, and I have the voice from being a phys ed teacher. You know, I, I always have this one, one story. Cause I was always the disciplinarian too. Um, yeah. Cause Sean would be working. I'm, I'm off all summer long. And uh, I have stories where my girls broke something on my bike that I couldn't get repaired and it was very costly. And, you know, I raised my voice and their friends all ran away. And then another time at the ski hill, my eldest wasn't talking very nicely to me and I raised my voice and all my friends ran away. (laughs) 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 And and that was right at the base of the hill. And like everybody at the chalet stopped and looked and I didn't care. You know, so my, my girls, they, they learned there are certain things that, yeah, don't push dad, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And, but it works out in the end because, you know, my, my youngest, when she went to college on the first Friday night, what do most kids do? They go out and party. No, not her. She's at, at home working on a project that's due in a month, get it all done (laughs) and then go out and play. That's, that's how we operated. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. So yeah, and my girls, they're almost twins. They're they're sixteen months apart. Wow. So you know, it's like get in diapers, stay in diapers. I always tell people that don't don't wait four or five or six years. You know, to uh, I thought it was a yeah. lot easier just to be in the diapers and stay in diapers. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, cool. I don't know any different. You know. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Anyway, so I uh, I guess we'll wrap this up. I don't want to take any more of your time because it's definitely precious. Yeah. Thank you. No, it was awesome talking to you. Uh, Yeah. It's always good catching up. And uh, yeah. When you're in the West coast, when you're in Lake Tahoe on your big trip, come visit. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to ask you, cause you ski with a woman called Sarah on on Instagram, I think Sarah BC or something like that. Mm -hmm. Cause I've seen, yeah. And so, cause I've always wanted to go and ski. I think it's crater Lake or something like that. Oh yeah. Yeah. Is that, is that far from you? Uh, it is probably north about seven hours. Oh, yeah. okay. Seven That's... hours north of us, Crater Lake, um, like in Oregon. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's okay. It's in Oregon. Ski. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great place to ski. There's some good backcountry. Uh, I think I skied there. The one time I skied there, it was like in April. Um, and yeah, great, great place to ski. Um, there's so many great volcanoes, so much good volcano skiing. Like, really? Once you get north of. Lassen. Lassen is um, about four hours north of Lake Tahoe. There's like about 11,000 foot volcano. And then you just keep stepping up their Shasta. Right. I, I ski that every year. That's 14,000. And I'd be skiing that around now, but uh, our snowpack is just dismal. Well, I was going to say you were talking about, you know, the snowpack and, and earlier when we were talking about Canada and snow, uh, we lost our snow six weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, it sucks. When I moved here from Quebec as a kid, I was like, Dad, there's, like, no snow here. What <laughs> what did we do? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, yeah, and I know this Tahoe, you can live the dream. You know, you can bu- – I bike to work today, but uh, I could go drive up to 7,800 feet 
after work and go ski, uh, you know, go skin up to 10,000 feet and wow. do a little corn run if I wanted. Yeah. But if I had time, I don't know if I do. Today. Right, right. But I did bike to work, so that was great. Um, yeah, so, yeah, just swing on out here. Just Tahoe's a great place, summer or winter or right. spring. Yeah, um, that's so cool. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks very much, Megan, for uh, yeah, thank you deciding for to me. come on the show. On the Skippy report, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I look uh, forward to seeing the, hearing the final product. Oh yeah, it'll be out probably next week sometime. Okay. I try to good. balance it. All right. Well, thanks a lot. Yeah. Thanks. Have a good rest of your day. You too. Bye bye. Again, a huge thank you to Megan Kelly for sitting down with me here at the Skippy Report. Check back later in a couple of weeks for the next episode.